In this episode of the Deming Institute podcast, Bob Mason and Claire Crawford Mason discuss the conditions and events that transpired prior to the release of the white paper, If Japan Can, Why Can't We? Also, Bob and Claire discuss the changes in thinking required for an individual to embrace continual improvement. Hi, I'm Tripp Babbitt. Today, I'd like to welcome to the Deming Institute podcast, Claire Crawford Mason and Bob Mason. Claire was the producer of the TV programs, If Japan Can, Why Can't We? and Quality or Else. These TV specials spawned the quality movement in the United States. Bob and Claire are creators of the Deming Video Library. Welcome. Thank you. Hello, hello. Hello. <laughs> um, so the first question I, I really have been dying to ask uh, is, can you take us back uh, to the economic condition of the U.S. prior to the release of the 1980 white paper, If Japan Can, Why Can't We? Let me look back in time to 1971 when uh, I graduated from business school with an MBA, and I was surprised at that time at, the, at, at how popular amongst the students and the discussion with faculty, financial management was becoming. It was the hot number. You wanted to, you wanted, you surely wanted to get the, all the financial management training you could get. Well, what was happening beyond business school was, of course, financial management of, of corporations as the, as the important indicators of performance were taking over. Uh, remember that in those years, uh, corporate diversification was a big deal. The great corp- the great uh, companies were out to were out to buy and uh, acquire other companies, regardless of the kind of business that they did. The important thing was, hey, we can manage anything because we have the tools. Well, that was the mindset of people graduating from business schools in the 70s on into the 80s. And uh, it seems to me that that's an important part of the economic situation in the States that uh, would lead uh, an executive producer at NBC News to say, hey, what's, what's going wrong here that uh, the Japanese are taking over uh, American market shares? Well, uh, what, what actually happened uh, was that we were at, at NBC. We were interested in, in really we were doing a lot of interesting things. We'd done the first documentaries on spouse abuse, child sexual abuse, and all sorts of things, and, and NBC News was really uh, coming up there. And uh, so the uh, executive producer, Reuben Frank, looked at what was happening with the Japanese taking the market in electronics and in automobiles, and he came up with the idea for a documentary, and the tentative title was Whatever Happened to Good Old American Ingenuity? And that was how we went out to do the documentary. And the uh, one of uh, the co-producers had a friend at uh, the American University, the, a man named Herb Streiner, who was head of the business school there. And he said we had to go and visit and talk to this man that lived down the street from American University and that he had helped the Japanese. But no one in America had ever heard of him, though his name was W. Edwards Deming. So uh, I went over to see him and uh, talked to him. And uh, it was a uh, it was interesting and life changing. And though I didn't know it at the time, and very very confusing. And uh, well, since then it has. So uh, as we as we went through the documentary, I'll talk to you later if you'd like about uh, what it was like meeting Dr. Deming. We went to 
uh, and visited various places, and one that was uh, practicing his ideas. And we saw the quality, a quality circle meeting, one of the first in America, and one of the people said, the Japanese can do it, we can do it, and so we changed the title to it, the documentary, which was, ah. if Japan can, okay. why can't we? Okay. And that was that. Well, I think I think it might be relevant, Claire. Some of the early memories you have of meeting with them. Uh, what was you? You mentioned that that first meeting with Dr. Deming. What did, maybe didn't go so well. Uh, the first meeting with Dr. Deming, I hardly uh, understood uh, anything he said. Uh, I met. I went to his house, and he lived uh, almost at the uh, end of the district, and. Um, he was working out of his basement, which terribly crowded and not very well organized. And I later figured out that it really was full of my, oh, unopened mail, maybe since World War II. Uh, he had a secretary there, and um, he he talked and he kept talking. And later I thought that he must be talking to me in statistical uh, jargon because <laughs> okay. I didn't understand anything he said. But finally, after we had talked for an hour or so, and he was very polite and everything, but mm-hmm. I just. I didn't know what questions to ask, and I wasn't sure what the story was. And so I said to him, I said, what was it you taught the Japanese? And he said, and this, is, this was the first time it was said, though it's now become a cliche, he said, I taught the Japanese to work smarter, not harder. Mm-hmm. And I understood that. So, and so then I uh, called the NBC office in Tokyo and asked them if they could uh, tell me anything about a man named W. Edwards Deming. And so they uh, said, well, uh, they said that next to General MacArthur, he was the most, uh, the best known American in Japan. And I said, well, what did he do? And they had absolutely no idea, but they did know that he was very well known. So I went back and talked to the executive producer, Reuben Frank, and Reuben said, ah, the oldest story in the world, a prophet ignored in his own homeland. (laughs) And so that was, from there, we went forward and then we interviewed Dr. Deming a number of times, and uh, it was, uh, it was a, uh, an interesting, uh, uh, interesting trying to figure out how to explain what it was that he taught the Japanese, because uh, it was very, very uh, laden with statistics, and it was, there was no real simple ways to explain it. And um, we, he, he, asked, he said that before we could interview him, we had to go and look at a picture of him, and we looked at a picture of him uh, back uh, meeting with uh, all the top people in Japan and so on, and uh, it was uh, it, it's been interesting. It was life changing for us because I mean, after the documentary, uh, I went to work with him and, as with Bob because he was so delighted by the when it, when it appeared. He took us out to dinner, and then Bob said to him, and I will leave this with you, Bob. He said, "That's not what they taught me at Harvard Business School," <laughs> and Dr. Devin really, really liked like that. <laughs> and I uh, wanted Bob to go on the speech trail with him so he could tell people that. And then uh, it was Bob who convinced me and explained to me the importance of what Dr. Deming was saying, because in the beginning, I certainly didn't understand it and could not have explained it to a popular audience. You know, there's something very interesting you say in there, Claire, that I know you've spoken about on other podcasts and some of your writing, but, you know, that you and Bob both have worked to kind of simplify the Deming message. And it kind of takes me back when, you, when, when you're talking there about Dr. Deming, when you first met him, it was kind of like he was speaking a different language to you. What have you both been doing in order to simplify that, that message? Because, you know, it, I feel like even today, you know, and I'm, I'm sure many at the Institute probably feel the same way that, you know, it feels like we're, te- we're 
talking a completely different language than what everybody else is talking about out there. Can you share with maybe some of the challenges or successes that you've had in uh, uh, trying to simplify that message and, and communicate it better uh, to the broader audience? Well, I, I think that the Deming conversation is different from what people are exposed to, what they are experiencing in businesses of all kinds today, whether airlines or uh, the Amazon or the Walmart situation. I, I uh, picked up a, uh, a book recently published in, the, in, uh, in this year, in fact, uh, with the title, Mindless, why Smarter Machines Are Making Dumber Humans by a writer named Simon Head. Okay. And what he, what he deals with there is the, uh, the continuing development of computerized business systems, mm-hmm. which relegate humans, uh, employees, to less, lesser and lesser thinking opportunities. Mm-hmm. People, uh, Deming students, meet together to talk about uh, how we can, in our, in our daily work, improve the quality of how we do our work and the results that, that come, from, come from our work. Frederick Taylor focused on the smartest and brightest people he could find to design systems that would produce the, the, the best results over time. And the people who did the work the bottom, of course, in the, in the early part of the 20th century, mm-hmm. were uneducated fellows who were taught, were trained to do very simple parts of a total process. We, uh, we continue to think, with, uh, to think uh, without thinking in terms of Frederick Taylor's teachings, and uh, that's evident today in the, uh, in the computerized business system, which is manipulated from the top to speed up the process, to demand more and more from employees, and with no with no 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 possibility of individuals being innovative in the way they approach their work. That's a, a vast oversimplification of what of what has continued to happen. But my view is that people in the in the Deming conversation talk about the real world, and we fool ourselves today to believe that that uh, information technology has all the answers. Yes, uh, absolutely. We, we see that over and over again. People fall into that trap of buying technology almost blindly um, with the belief that it, yeah. it's got to make something better because it's new. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. well, what Bob's also sort of saying is that it's treating the, the uh, lower level of people like they're machines and you're not interested in their ideas, mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. which was about what Frederick Taylor did. But what, what is the Deming thing has meant for me, it's meant that he taught me the importance of continual learning and continual improvement. And all the time, I'm just amazed, I find and, and learn new things. And the most um, recent thing well, that I, well, first of all, one of the most important things, and I don't think people really uh, understand it about the continual improvement, is that Dr. Deming, as a boy on the western frontier, in the Wyoming frontier, the during the Civil War, Lincoln had started the Department of Agriculture, and there was an agricultural agent in every county in America teaching the American farmer continual improvement of farming. And as a result of that, America became the leading producer of food and fiber in the world, and that's the basis of our economic miracle. 
And when Deming went to Japan, he taught continual improvement to the Japanese. Mm -hmm. But as we moved from the farm to the factory to the suburban shopping center to the government agency to whatever, we have given up continual improvement. And the whole thing in America, as people say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And that's been something that's been very, very difficult to overcome. And then though the most astounding revelation I've had, say, in the last five or six years, and I'm writing a book about it now, is that I realized for the first time, and this has not really been reported, that Deming was the first person in the history of the world to bring Eastern and Western thought together in a major scale. Mm. Uh, And Aristotle and Confucius didn't even live at the same time, and they couldn't have made the trip. But he took Western thinking and put it together with Eastern thinking and came up with almost a new level of consciousness. And that is what we have failed to learn. And what is happening now is the East is learning it better than we are. They are learning scientific and analytical thinking much more rapidly than we are learning systems thinking. Okay. And this is the huge problem that faces the West. And this, this book that I'm now writing, I'm calling it The New Wisdom, How to Manage Our Increasingly Complex, Confusing World, Its Amazing Benefits and Dangerous Drawbacks. And Americans just are so stuck in dualistic thinking, either-or thinking. There's a wonderful priest who's written about this, and he says it goes all the way back to the Garden of Paradise. And the West, of course, is thinking in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the East is thinking in the tree of the joy of life. Hmm. And if we, we are so stuck in our dualistic thinking that we're unable to really look out and realize that the world is a both-and place, and that sometimes, yes, you do need to have either-or thinking, but you all you need to look, you need to see with new eyes, and that's what the problem here in the West is. We're not seeing the, the both-end world that we are facing. So is that a, uh, you know, as I hear you talk, I, I, I interviewed Bob Brown of the Great Plains Coca-Cola Bottling Company a, a couple weeks back, and he was talking in terms of the left brain, right brain type of thinking. So, you know, the, the, the Western style management, yeah. very, yeah. very left brained, you know, and, and, uh, you know, logical, but it's limiting, uh, and that yeah. the Eastern Anal- culture, analytical, mm-hmm. an- analytical and, uh, and, and, and that's what, uh, what we do. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Left brain okay. versus, versus right brain, which is seeing the big picture and seeing the interdependence of the parts and that sort of thing, which is we don't see in scientific thinking. Okay, very good. So, so, uh, and I think we kind of started into the conversation a little bit, but what is your collective views on what has happened since 1980 in the U.S.? I mean, a lot, of, a lot has gone on. We've had the introduction of Lean and Six Sigma. We seem to have gotten even more into a financial mindset here in the States. Everything is, you know, investment-oriented, those types of things. And there may be some other things that, that stand out in your mind. It's, it seems to me that the uh, this, the whole uh, area of business, business consulting and and uh, design of uh, design of uh, of systems has been has been taken over by increasing increasingly by by specialists, mm. and you have a whole vast literature today of uh, of business systems that uh, are designed for everything you can imagine, and that. And that the the discussion is among specialists in this field. It is not. It is not between people at uh, at multiple levels 
in an organization uh, so that we we see uh, well the the uh, I think of the the reengineering phase back in the it was in in the late eighties when mm-hmm. uh, Champion mm-hmm. uh, and his partner uh, marketed reengineering so much. Well, reengineering now is reengineering of digital systems. Mm-hmm. But that is done by people who speak that language, and that's not that is not the language of of of, of cooperation, um, the language of the value, valuing of uh, individual differences and in how people learn and how and uh, the question of how we can improve the processes that we use in our in our work. Very, uh, um, very, yeah, very insightful. Places like uh, places like the great warehouses and sorting centers of uh, Amazon. And, and the Walmart facilities do not want well-prepared, educated people on the line. They need people who move as fast as they are told to move to carry goods from one from one end of the plant to the other. And thank you. Leave your thinking. Leave your thinking somewhere else. Okay. So, so more of a focus on the efficiency of things, really, than the effectiveness of exactly okay. efficiency is the is well, the all. I think that one of the things that has happened is that there was people tried to initiate it, uh, say, at uh, Ford, and they tried to initiate it at General Motors. Now, Milani, who just left Ford, said he was able to bring Ford back by reinstituting Dr. Deming's teachings. Mm. And what happened is that they just did not stay on. When somebody at Ford or General Motors or these big places would do it, they didn't bring in their board of directors and have them learn it too. And they didn't, no one ever really saw that uh, a great deal of this was, how can I describe it, treasuring the, um, the, bene- the thing that, and believing that everybody had some contribution to make, maybe not quite from the janitor on up. Mm-hmm. And so, in other words, people started to do it, and then, they, uh, then the next person came in, and the board of directors didn't know whether the CEO needed to know this or not because they didn't know about it. So there was no real way of, of, of instituting this or practicing it. And then there were, as I've analyzed it, there I see that there are eight shifts that you have to make mm. in how you think in order to do this. Okay. And one, and they are, one is you have to treasure cooperation over competition, and particularly cooperation within the, uh, within the organization. But this is in your own private life, too. This works for you privately or for re- ordinary people who are not CEOs or whatever. One is cooperation over competition. Another is to look for win-win relationships over win-lose relationships, which is kind of mm-hmm. uh, has to do also with competition. Another is uh, being inclusive with other people rather than exclusive. Okay. Another is systems thinking to guide analytical thinking, which is something we in the West, have, as I said earlier, have failed to do. And then the other is, again, which I mentioned, is continual improvement over good enough. And then this is the most important one, which is very, very hard for people in the West, is managing over controlling. We really believe in control. One of the most important things I ever learned from Dr. Deming, the two for my private life, for my public life, for whatever, is there is no such thing as certainty and there's no such thing as control. Mm. And we all believe there is. And so you have to accept and learn how what Dr. Deming is all about is managing what's happening and managing complexity over control. And then you have to be proactive rather than reactive. And then the last thing you have to do 
is you have to build more long-term thinking and decisions into your life rather than relying on short-term thinking. Okay, so those these sound like uh, prescriptions for Western management, then. Yeah, okay. not like for Western management for <laughs> just individuals walking around the walking around the shopping mall. Yeah, <laughs> okay, Every, very. Everybody good. needs to do that to make their life their life change. The world has changed so much mm. in our lifetime, and there's so many things that are going on from a new global world to communication and so on, that if you don't have an underlying basis of how you view what's happening, then you're lost. Okay. No, I was um, uh, really pleased, and, and, um, and, and I'm, I'm going to go listen to the podcast with the, um, uh, with the Coca-Cola CEO. And Bob Brown, His yes. mentioning mm-hmm. of right brain, left brain differences, I think, is... Uh, uh, I don't know what he had in mind, but it can be quite important. Dr. Deming said one time that there are there's a different way to to gain knowledge to understand something, and I, I I've always thought that he was talking about about experiential learning, mm. which is rendered into words uh, with only only with uh, difficulty. But it means you you know something you you know you know it, but you can't necessarily talk about it. And that is that is the right brain function, mm-hmm. which senses relationships, which a person attempting to think systemically or to practice systems thinking, um, I think needs to to experience along with uh, all of the stuff that we we learn about. Um, uh, how, how to uh, uh, arrange the data for, for evidence. But there's also an appreciation for the system that, hey, every system is, uh, is perceived individually, different points of view, and uh, nobody has all of the truth. We approach the truth as best we can using statistical methodology, mm-hmm. uh, but... Th- that's all we can ever do. And, and as Dr. Deming liked to say, you know, um, management is prediction, but it's prediction over a short period of time in the, into the near future, not for long term, because of the ever-present changes that are occurring in, in systems. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I sorry, because uh, Bob Brown talked about the same thing. He talked a lot about the relationship piece. Uh, I, I think that's interesting that you guys both uh, overlap on on that particular thinking. I just wanted to make note of it. I'm sorry, Claire. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh no, what I was going to say is that um, I have to say this as a woman that uh, women are more right brained, as we know. Mm. And if you go back in history, you can see that time be about you know the world used to be ruled by goddesses way, way back, and it was only after, and writing was invented, was invented, and this is, they've approved it in many different societies, that the society becomes more and more left-brained, and the goddesses left, and they started having gods, and the, and the male way of uh, patriarchy took over the um, society, and they've proved that through a number of different societies, because women tend to think more, they'd be more right-brained, and see, they see the whole family rather than just the individuals, and they, 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 they look to the future as to what's going to happen. Okay. And uh, we, I always used to kid and say that uh, Dr. Deming's mother 
and Acoff's mother taught them systems thinking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's probably, but, um, probably some truth to that. <laughs> That's but, good. Um, no, it's, 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 we, it's a whole different way of looking at, at life. And one of the things that Dr. Deming did that we really not ever analyzed out and explained out is he saw processes where other people only see single events. And that's really an important way to step back and start looking at your life and start looking at how you make decisions and how people work together and how you do things. And I always go back and remember uh, one of uh, Acoff's favorite stories about he was out at some big plan and they had found this guy who had a, uh, came up with an idea for saving something that was going to save $50,000 a month on the assembly line. And afterwards, uh, Acoff went to him and said, uh, how long have you known about this? And the guy said, 10 years. And he said, well, why didn't you ever say anything? He said, nobody ever asked me. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, again, the, the um, people who, uh, who work in, in, in these, um, in these great, great warehouses and sorting centers uh, are not supposed to talk with one another. In mm. fact, talking with a, with a, with a fellow worker it's sometimes called time stealing, because when you talk with somebody else, you're not, you're you're falling behind in your, uh, in the pace of work that you're supposed to, hmm. to to meet, and um, uh, there's a price to pay for that in the long run, and but that's beyond the, beyond our ability to talk about today. Okay. Um... So, so let's just, I want to ask a question about, I, I know you guys put together the uh, Deming Library, um, yeah. and some of the things that we've talked about today are kind of, you know, maybe reevaluating the approach of the way that we go and communicate Dr. Deming's message to folks. Does that make the Deming Library still relevant, or do you think we, there's a whole different path that needs to happen uh, in association with trying to get Dr. Deming's thinking uh, engaged? Well, I think you have to uh, build on the Deming Library okay. because I think you have to, in other words, the Deming Library grew out of questions as we and other people, uh, Bob Reich is in the Deming Library and there's a number of really, really, you know, top people who came to understand. And I think if you, if you sit through the Deming Library, you'll understand it and then it can begin to influence your thinking and how you do things. Okay. But I, 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 I'm not clear that uh, anywhere in America that continual uh, learning and continual improvement is taught on a grade school level. I think Langford does fantastic mm. things as he's changed the schools and made them more effective and made teachers into coaches. But, no, I think you have to learn the basis of, like, you have to watch, see the red bead experiment to really understand how silly people are, things people are asked to do and so on. And I think... That maybe the clue to the Deming, the only clue to the Deming Library that we didn't put in it is that you should watch it in a group. Mm. Okay. <laughs> and watch it with well. people. Because, no, I, I really believe that, I'm, I'm sure that we could do, a, you know, a, we could do something, we could do another, uh, at this point, I could do another half hour. 20 minutes is the best of attention span, so that's why they're all so short. Um, I think that, uh, it's it's a whole point in uh, we're we're still confronting uh, that how we are prisoners unconscious prisoners of our culture, mm. and that's the people we're dealing with. Our, the people who are, we're all unconscious prisoners of our culture and of ideas, and we have no idea of this. It's, and that's and that Deming Library can 
and other things can help you to say, hey, wait a minute. Uh, unravel well, some of I, the I existing like culture. Yeah. I, I think that, mm-hmm. that we have to place the, um, the, the principles that are, that are found in the Deming Library as well as in his in book, books in the context of people's present-day experience. And we can take as an assumption, a working assumption, that there is more uh, unhappiness and lack of pleasure and satisfaction in the working environment that many people go through, whether they're working in uh, Goldman Sachs or whether they're working in Walmart, than than there was at, at times in the past. Okay. And so you you need to be able to speak to the to the to the questions, the complaints, the problems that people experience today, and and. Uh, help them to see that, hey, there's a, there is another way to think about your work uh, and the way, that, the way that work can be done better and better uh, without, without people um, exhausting and burning themselves out. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about some of the uh, more, when I say uh, more recent things that have happened, obviously the, the uh, white paper is from 1980, but the, the nun and the bureaucrat and this uh, good news, how hospitals healed themselves, PBS piece. Can you share a little bit about some of the work that you did there? Well, I'm so stunned by the fact that it's, that, 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 that is not being used in hospitals. In other words, what it what had happened was um, the people in these hospitals cut costs by 50%, wiped out hospital-acquired infections, reduced medical errors, and so on, all by introducing the Toyota management system. Mm. And so one wonders that you have 30 or 40 hospitals in Pittsburgh and some across the Midwest. Why aren't, why is, why aren't they doing this? You see the VA thing. Um, I think that partly because I don't think that people, this never got out. No one ever talks about this as compared to if Japan can. You no longer have documentaries that come out and turn the world around. Mm. And there used to be a lot of those back in the uh, in the in the 80s and the 70s. And then uh, what has happened now is that uh, television news has become a profit center. And so the point is entertainment are larger um, audiences and not finding out where people are doing things better and better and letting the general public know about this. So, and I understand that the, the, the point that you're trying to make there on a, on a broader scale from a media standpoint, I want to go back to the, the comment you just made about that these ideas aren't getting accepted in hospitals and, and media certainly plays, plays a particular role in that. But, but something more specific that you said that they use the Toyota production system. So they were using mm-hmm. lean more than Deming. Well, no, it was Deming and Lean. It was it was all of it together, but they called it the Toyota production system. That was how they explained it to their people. Okay. You see, there the ordinary people might not have known who Deming was or didn't. Talk. And you see, the word. What's interesting is that the word quality has gotten such a um, uh, it has got you know has no meaning, and it's become uh, people say that doesn't work anymore, and they mm. dismiss the whole thing, and that's. Uh, a bad PR for Dr. Deming's ideas. Uh, okay. And so Toyota management was better to explain it to the people in the hospital than saying we're going to introduce quality, quality thinking. So they had well, to use a different leader, word. <laughs> the leaders in the hospital systems uh, that we studied mm-hmm. 
said, our our root problem is is not uh, is not medical science, uh, but it it is a management problem. We are we waste uh, a lot trying to deliver clinical care to patients. Mm-hmm. We frustrate nurses who spend too much of their time searching for materials. It was you said this is a, that the problem is not medical. The problem is management, mm. and it's not it's not only uh, searching for materials. Is the way the hospitals are designed. Nobody, you know, they the emergency room. How they got the emergency room? People go to emergency rooms and wait two days, twelve, fourteen hours, and they got it down to uh, there's places where you're if you come in now that are using this method that if you have a uh, uh, life and death, you're under treatment in 30 seconds, and if you have an ingrown toenail, you're under treatment in 30 yeah. minutes, and they're able to do that 96% of the time because they have instituted a, a better way of managing the emergency room and having it work for the rest of the hospital. People at, people at all levels, both, uh, uh, both clinicians and uh, service workers, were encouraged in these, in these, uh, in these hospitals that we visited to understand that the way they did their work could be changed it could be improved and they had they were encouraged to gather with others and make the efforts to work smarter not harder hmm. you see it's always in all of this it's having respect for your fellow workers even though they may be the production line people are the people who are the janitors or the people who are just delivering things it's realizing and having respect for the other person and this is not a backbone of american thinking or american business business hmm. and it's and as the world is changing more and more that's we're seeing this globally we're seeing it in foreign relations and everything like this it's so, having respect for your fellow human beings well i thank you both for today before my last question is basically is there anything that you'd like to provide a clarification on or something i didn't ask you wish i would have asked uh during the course of our conversation here well i can only say that uh, dr deming told us at the time that his ideas uh would not could not be implemented in the short term there was no quick fix mm-hmm. this was something that uh we were going to have to work on over a period of years, and I certainly see that today. The uh, the mistakes that have been made since his time are legion, and the uh, the areas of, of real of, of real knowledge improvement are uh, still have to be uh, have to be searched for across the landscape. But they they are there. There are there are places of real of real ex- excellence in uh, in healthcare and in other and other fields. Okay. Claire? And well, I would say that the the message that I feel is important is that uh, Westerners dispense with their arrogance and that they try and learn what has what, what the Eastern way of thinking hmm. so, as well as the East has learned the Western way of thinking because we've got to go forward and this this is this is the only way that we're going to be able to do it. We have to stop thinking we really know it all, and I think that many people in the West believe they really think that, and I think that we need to pause and say, well, there's always something to learn, and I think we, in the, we, we better adopt the things that helped us. It was continual improvement that made America great in the beginning, and I think we need to 
examine that again. Okay. And it sounds like this uh, new book, what was the name of the of the book that you're writing right now? The new book is, wait, let me tell you. Okay. <laughs> the New Wisdom. The, the new, new Wisdom. The New Wisdom. How to Manage Our Increasingly Complex, Confusing World. It's Amazing Benefits and Dangerous Drawbacks. Okay. Well, that sounds like that would be a, a good start to maybe getting some of the uh, right right ba- brain uh, east, Eastern mindset then. Um, well, and, I'm trying to write it for ordinary people. I'm, oh, okay. I'm, not, I'm trying not to write it. For, I'm waiting for managers. Managers can read it too, but I want ordinary people to get the benefit of all this because we have indeed in uh, many ways lost uh, – a lot of what helped us in the past, and there's much to learn. Okay, very good. Um, and uh, when might we expect the book to be out? Oh, well, if I really was lucky, I would be able to, let's see, this is October, um, maybe, um, let's make, suppose I could set a deadline in June, which would be the anniversary of If Japan Can, let's okay. see, 1980, <laughs> okay. June of 2015, that would be 35 years. Okay, very good. One would hope. Yeah. Uh, if I can do it, if I can, if I can get through doing it. I'm only on Chapter f- 6 now. Okay. Uh, and uh, out of 20? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I think it's going to be about, uh, no, I think it'll be about uh, 11 or 12. Okay, very good. So you're about half. one chapter half on way. each of those things I said we had to do. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate you uh, both sharing your time and uh, being a part of the new Deming Institute podcast as you guys are you know, right up there and, you know, the top uh, 10 uh, people that we've interviewed and, and some of the important uh, touchstone that the white paper was at the beginning and some of the things and activities that you've done since that time. Uh, we really appreciate. Well, thank you. I want producing to... the, the podcast. That's a And I think the Deming Institute work. is fantastic. Dr. Deming would be absolutely delighted at what they're doing and how they're going forward. And it's exactly what's needed to carry these ideas and to uh, get them in, uh, absorbed into and instituted into our society. Very good. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Sure. Hi, this is Trip Abbott announcing the 21st Annual International Deming Research Seminar, where you can see and hear the latest applications of Dr. W. Edwards Deming's philosophy. The 2015 Research Seminar will be held in Washington, D.C., March 23rd and 24th at the Georgetown University Conference Center. Join us to hear innovative new approaches and directions being tested by others to enhance operations, build trust, foster leadership, promote commerce, create ethical business cultures, and sustain success. Register for the event at the Deming.org website. I hope to see you there.